Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, happy holidays. Happy holidays, uh, Will and Jerry. Excited to spend the next hour with you guys. Um, less excited to talk about this basketball team, but we'll, we'll make with it uh, what we will. We'll figure something out. He's a, uh, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst. General manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lick, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. Great to be with you guys. Uh, hey, I always love talking basketball. Even uh, even discussing bad basketballs better not get to talk any basketball. <laughs> Amen to that, Jerry. Amen to that. So uh, since the last time we talked, uh, the Kings have lost four of their last six games. Uh, they're five, of, five and seven in the month of December. At the time of recording, they're two games out of the 10th seed, three games out of the 7th seed, and uh, two and a half games removed from the worst record in the West. Uh, the storyline of the last two weeks, just to kind of set the scene, they've pretty much been all things Halliburton, with a slew of players being uh, tossed into COVID health and protocols. Uh, we saw basically Halliburton got to play carte blanche for four games. Uh, no Fox, no Holmes for 75% of them, basically a skeleton crew, plus Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald. So Jerry and Tony, I wanted to start there. What are your takeaways from the Halliburton-led mini-era for this Kings these last four games? Well, just from my viewpoint, uh, it's really been encouraging. You know, he Tyrese may be the reason I still watch the Kings. Uh, you know, I, I really uh, feel like he's doing the things that we talked about, I think, on this site last January, uh, about this time, that uh, he really showed the ability to lead a team and, and – uh, be the point guard and playmaker and, and team would be better if they put him in that role. And I don't think they ever did until they had to, but uh, when it happened, uh, I think uh, at least I saw exactly what I thought that I would see, uh, you know, really a natural playmaker. And, uh, you know, he rose to the challenge, the ball in his hands. Uh, he made, he did some awful good things. So uh, very encouraged, uh, I guess, from my point of view and the fact that Halliburton, no, he looks like he's a keeper, but looks like he could be a, a special player going forward. Tony, what was something that you saw in this in this last four game stretch uh, prior to Fox coming back last night uh, about Halliburton and, and how he did and how he moved the ball with for the Kings? I just thought it was it was very refreshing, and we've had a, a ball dominant guard for De'Aaron Fox's entire tenure um, in Fox. And while I like Fox, I think he's a very good player. He's not the playmaker that Tyrese Halliburton, that playmaker that we thought Tyrese Halliburton was, and Tyrese Halliburton proved that he was a, a better playmaker, I think, in that short stretch. Small sample size caveats and all that, you know, insert them here. But I think Halliburton showed you that if he gets the minutes and gets the responsibility, he's going to be a, you know, near 20-point-per-game guy, and I think he could uh, – if not lead the league in assists with that sort of opportunity, be right up there with everybody else. He, his playmaking was very refreshing and uh, you know, better or worse than Fox as a lead guard. Like, I don't think we're ready to have that conversation quite yet, but it was just a refreshing different look as someone who has watched all of De'Aaron Fox's games. 
um, seeing a different kind of player have the ball all the time and get others involved a little bit more was, again, it was a refreshing stretch of basketball. Yeah, you used the word refreshing, and I think that's a good one because uh, I, I was dreading, as soon as the COVID protocols hit for, for the Kings and a bunch of a slew of players went out, uh, uh, this, was, this could have been my breaking point. This could have been one of those things that if Tyrese Halliburton came out and was still deferring, was Buddy, Buddy Hill shooting 30 a game and Tyrese Halliburton shooting seven and he's just kind of being lackadaisical, I, I might have stopped watching the Kings basketball regularly altogether. And uh, luckily, uh, it wasn't that way. In fact, I had a lot more fun watching Halliburton and a, and a bunch of G-leaguers run around the court and trying their hardest than I did sometimes watching, you know, Fox and, and Harrison Barnes and, the you know, the, the main starting group play at their best. It just it was a whole different look for the team. It was it was one of those things that I, I got enjoyment out of watching the Kings for the first time in forever. I my heart grew three sizes those days. And so. I, I was I was encouraged to say the least. Um, uh, now that Fox is back and they played a game last night in Memphis where uh, they they lost by twenty five. But I, I, I kind of wanted to get your guys' opinion on where does where do the Kings go from here? How can the Kings keep that Halliburton that we've seen in that four game stretch, and also bring Fox back into the fold without affecting Halliburton too much from what he's been able to do? Well, that's a great question, and I'm not sure. I mean, I think at some point, if you feel that uh, he's better uh, as a lead guard, and uh, you've got to put him in position to be that. Uh, you know, I've I certainly feel like that's the direction this team needs to go. I'm not saying that uh, De'Aaron would particularly uh, like it, uh, but it needs to happen. I mean, it's one of those things, you know, uh, basically uh, – if you don't change things, don't be surprised if you uh, continue to get what you get. <laughs> I mean, and I, I think that uh, uh, to have a better guard line, I mean, I just think it gives you a chance to have a better guard line. I mean, I think Fox is a much better scorer, and I think he could can could be better at that uh, with less, you know, less ball handling. And, and hopefully, uh, I think getting him off the ball more, I mean, his assist turnover ratio is just not good. And uh, to where he could focus on being more of a scorer and uh, not, not worrying about getting people involved because I don't think he's nearly as good at it anyway. And uh, so, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a coaching decision, but it's also a team decision, but it's a decision needs to be made. You know, I mean, uh, so he, if you're going to ruffle some feathers, then ruffle them. They, they need to be ruffled. Tony, I'm curious. Uh, I know it's a small sample size. I know we we've only seen four games this way, but does this uh, does this little uh, uh, you know offensive spurt from Tyrese Halberton does that reinvigorate you on the Fox and Halliburton backcourt, or does it more signal to you that you'd be okay with the Kings moving on from Fox, and the Kings would at least you know not suffer the the drop that that we kind of assumed it would before the season? Yeah, I think everything is in play, and I think because the Kings have sort of uh... I don't know. They're what eight games below 500 right now. They're still in the playoff mix, but the season is clearly not going the way anyone inside those walls wanted it to go. I think I'd say that the figuring out the Fox and Halliburton dynamic is the primary goal for the rest of this season. And maybe Monty McNair decides he's seen enough by the deadline and moves one of them. Maybe that happens in the off season if this doesn't work, but I don't think the Kings can keep stringing along this core. The fan base is certainly over it. So I'd say, this is the year to figure out if those two can coexist. And I know 
you want to give young players longer than that to figure it out, but I don't know if the leash is that long anymore. I think a lot of people and maybe uh, the Kings shouldn't take account uh, fan sentiment and all that. And like the narrative around the team, but I do think there is a lot of pressure on Monty McNair on the coaching staff on this core to figure it out. And I think again, with how they've been playing recently in the playoffs, I don't want to say slipping away because they're still in the mix, but they certainly don't feel like a playoff team. I do think the Fox and Halliburton thing is, is the primary goal the rest of the year. And by the end of the year, we've got to know either both of them, one of them, we've got to figure that one out. We got to learn something this year. It can't be another wasted year completely. Jay, I'm curious. Um, Halliburton was the only kind of new addition to the front of this team here um, during this stretch. Uh, we got Doug Christie as head coach. Um, after Alvin Gentry went down uh, with uh, with COVID as well. And I'm curious if, if, you know, being the former coach and GM here, was there anything that you saw that stuck out into your mind about the job that Christie did while Alvin Gentry was recovering? Well, I, I thought Doug did an outstanding job. I, I'm not surprised. I think he has uh, the potential to be a head coach in this league. And uh, and I know the fact that I know him and like him, I'm probably a little biased there. Uh, I don't know. You know, in a lot of ways, I kind of hope Doug gets his for his career, gets his first job somewhere else, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, uh, but but yeah, I think he, you know, I thought he did is a good job. Now, uh, I thought he had honestly, this might sound crazy, but I also thought he there were some advantages to it uh, when he got it, because with all the guys out, there was no pressure. Nobody expected much. And, and also, you know, I, I know, too, sometimes when you got a whole bunch of guys that are very similar in ability, which the Kings do, you know, they have quite a few NBA players when they're all healthy. Uh, and so, but the fact that so many were out, it really made, the, you know, the substitution stuff uh, pretty, pretty easy. You know, you're going to play, you're going to play certain guys uh, a lot as much as you can. And the few guys you have available, you know, just plot them in there. So I thought that worked and, and you know, work well for Doug in that sense. And, and uh, you know, so you don't have as many guys, you know, it's like the other night with Alvin coming back and all of a sudden he's got more or less of a full compliment. And then all of a sudden, you know, certain guys aren't playing or very much. And then, you know, you got some, some uh, sensitive young fellows that their full, their full abilities aren't being uh, taken advantage of probably and that sort of thing. So, uh, but yeah, all that being said, Doug, uh, you know, I've always said I, I've, in my years with the Kings, there's been several guys that I, I thought would be coaches in the league. You know, Mike Woodson, uh, Jimmy Les, uh, Doug was in that group. And of course, uh, I always thought Kara Lawson was, right at the top of the list of the, the women I was around. And so I always felt like I identified uh, the right ones. And I think that'll prove to be true with Doug uh, in time, but uh, you know, so nothing, nothing negative on, on Doug's tour. And I thought very positive. I don't know. I don't know anybody could have handled that spot any better, uh, to be honest. So you just go with that. Don't, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, making the next red hour back or, or Pat Riley just yet, you know, but again, if Doug's first job was, was with Kareem and worthy and magic, he'd probably have a chance to be the next Pat Riley. <laughs> Tony, I'm curious. What did you see from Doug out there uh, manning the head position there? Yeah, I was very skeptical of Doug Christie 
through no fault of his own. I've just, you know, Vlade Divac gets a job and Bobby Jackson gets a job and Pedro Stojakovic gets a job. And then you wonder if Doug is just on the, uh, you know, another list of legends who get some sort of position with the team, but he was awesome. And Jerry uh, made a note of all the different circumstances that went for and against him. I would say the one thing that I would say about his tenure, if I could like wrap it up into one little part is that he's a head coach that for the brief time he was in charge of this team, he got more out of the players that he had available to him uh, than all of these other coaches have gotten out of much better rosters. It was a funner team to watch. They seemed like they played a little bit harder, seemed like they loved playing for him. And again, he got, you know, he raised the ceiling of the, his roster instead of either brought them down or players played worse. No, Doug Christie got the most he could out of the guys he coached and whatever happened around that or whatever that means for his future as head coach. I don't know. I just know for this one stretch, uh, he did a great job and got the most out of the guys available. Jerry, is Tony believing in the small sample size there? Well, I, I think everything he said is true. I, I think that all that is, is very true. Now, you know, we, we can't know what we don't know going forward in other situations, but I, I mean, I, I do, I do understand how a lot of people uh, basically feel the Kings have spent way too much trying to recreate 2001, uh, you know, and, and, and I think in, in all honesty and fairness, I think uh, this might be the one, one area where uh, they're not, I mean, that, that is legitimate. Yeah. Uh, I think mm -hmm. with, with so many of the other tries at recreating the glory years when it's time to, I think been a long time, time to move off that. But, but I think it would, in Doug's case, Honestly, I think uh, he's he's really better prepared to be a coach uh, than than any of his other jobs. To be honest, not not, not to say he wasn't good at them, but I think uh, coaching, you know, it, it, uh, and I told him, I said, you know, I think he's made he's made for this. I really believe that. Yeah. Uh, it's it was curious to me only because I, it's for a team that had one win during that stretch. Uh, I found myself seeing Doug Christie on the on the sideline going like. Yeah, he could do this. Like he, yeah. he could pull this off, and I I can't help but think that's just that's just King's brain. Like my brain has rotted to the point where I see Doug Christie and I get a hit of endorphins because my my thirteen year old self remembers when the Kings were good and Doug Christie was on that team. I don't know if it's a psychological thing. I don't know if Doug was actually doing a fantastic job, but between having no expectations for this roster and having a guy who's been coaching less than 40 games into his coaching career as an assistant, I think Doug did a pretty damn good job and I'm, I'm happy for him. And I'm, I'm with you, Jerry, in the, in the hopes that if he gets a head coaching job, I kind of hope it's not with the Kings just, just only because I think we'll, we'll crush him. Like we've crushed everything else that's rolled in our path. Well, that, that is the scary part, you know, I mean, the beloved <laughs> Vlade Divots and, you know, I mean, and, and Paige, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, it's a, uh, I, it concerns me, uh, you know, to, to, like I sure. say, I want the best for Doug. And, and so whatever direction that goes, but that's, that, that's would be all I'd have to say on that. If the Kings go, uh, if the Kings win 20 games the year, Doug Christie's head coach, I'll still chew him up and spit him out. <laughs> I, I will not be happy about it. So in my head, Seattle's going to get an expansion team here in the next four or five years. There you go. Give, give Doug Christie the Seattle job and be happy about it. Will, can I make a point that I think you're going to like quite a bit? Tony, I love when you make points that you know I'm going to like. I didn't even realize the Kings only won one game in the Doug Christie era. Is that correct? That's what you just said? Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Uh, they, they beat they beat San Antonio. And then uh, since then, it's been, it's been losses on either side of that. Okay. I think that is a great living example 
of how you can have a fun, young, bad team that plays hard and still captures the excitement of a fan base. That team uh, only won one game. It did not feel that, that way because you had promising young players playing to the, the top end of their ability, surrounded by other young players who are just trying to make their way in the NBA uh, and you know, put that little point in the side of maybe retooling, resetting. And this doesn't need to be the uh, narrative disaster or, or ticket sales disaster that the Kings maybe think it is. I think this fan base would be very receptive to a direction, uh, um, uh, some, some move with, with some force behind it, with some intention behind it. You never want to be losing and tanking by accident. If you're losing and tanking a little bit on purpose and you put out an exciting team like that with an exciting coach who gets it with young players who are trying to figure things out, I think you're going to have a, a much easier time keeping the fan base together than maybe the Kings think they would by tearing it all down. Well, I agree with that. I, I mean, I think there's been teams through the years that have not been good, but have really been fun and fans liked yeah. them. And, and sure. because just of what you said, you know, that, Basically, the effort was there, the, the camaraderie, the chemistry. Uh, they didn't win more games because they weren't good enough to win more games. <laughs> and that's, and fair. that's fair. I've always said that's, yeah. there's not a thing wrong with uh, uh, getting beat when the other team actually is just playing better. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, and, and I think that's what's dis been disappointing really the last couple of years with this franchise is they, they simply haven't met that criteria in my mind. Uh, so, you know, so yeah, we, we've got uh, low standards and, and uh, even, even those aren't being met recently. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, Tony, that's a, that's a great point. And I, I try to avoid this as much as possible only because I am that I am one of those people within the, the fan base that likes to, to say, Oh, I think a, a two year, retooling or tank or whatever you want to call it would work. But I, I, I try to avoid that only because I am that guy, but I think you're absolutely correct in that, you know, there was four games in which I had a lot of fun watching a bunch of guys busting their ass, just trying to keep their head afloat in the league. And I had more fun in those, in that four game stretch, uh, e even through three losses than I did through other parts of the season where it's just like they're in it and they lose a couple by a few points. And I just know that there's, you know, the, the, the ceiling is limited on it where they could be anything. They could even be as good as Harrison Barnes one day. But I, I think you're right that I, I do, I do think this is a backdoor discussion into, into a retool. And, uh, and I appreciate the point. I'll send you your $20 after the show's. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, uh, did, what, did anyone else uh, to either of you guys, did anyone else stand out during this little mini era of Kings basketball during these, Doug Christie, Tyrese Halberton led Kings teams. Was there any other player on the limited benches that we had that you, that you saw that you went, okay, that, that was, that's something that was above what I was thinking about them. You know, there, there's two guys that, that I have, that I would say piqued my interest. Uh, I'm not saying I'm ready to, to, uh, to go overboard here, but I think Metu, uh, I like a lot of what I see. I don't like, what the results, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I can see in my own eyes or believe that he has the ability to be a player and a productive player. He's not, uh, but, but a lot of that's just judgment, I think. And, and so, so on that basis, I, I would give, you know, I, I like him enough to where I'd hang with him a while and, 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 and try to make him understand 
that he's he really will not be the next Carl Malone. That he's got to find a niche somewhere <laughs> below that. And and if he if he can do understand that, I think he can have a, be a productive NBA player. Uh, and and maybe a, a more you know maybe a, a a big you know minutes guy possibly. And then uh, Damian Jones. Uh, you know, there's a, I think there's something there. I mean, he's a big athletic guy. It, uh, seems to be productive, uh, and what limited use he's had, but the limited use he's had is, is I'm at the stage where let's make it uh, less limited and, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, no disrespect, you know, Lynn and, 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 and Tristan Thompson, they give you what they got and they're NBA players or NBA backup players. I, I, I really wouldn't they could probably both go and play limited minutes on better teams. Uh, mm -hmm. But in my mind is we know that we need okay. to find, find out about Damon Jones. Can he be a, a, a true backup center on a good team or more than that? But uh, I think it's time to find out that. So those two guys. Yeah, I was, I'm very, I'm, I'm in agreement with Damian Jones there, Jerry. Uh, I'm thinking back to the Spurs game where he played, less than 20 minutes and he ended up with 23 points, eight rebounds, two blocks, uh, shooting two for two from three and nine of 15 from the field. You know, he's not going to have that every night. He's going to be a, maybe a fringe starter or a backup center in the league, but, but that's, that was pretty damn good production. And it was one of those flashes that I went, okay, let's, you know, when Alex Lund comes back, let's give him a little bit more time to, to rest those lungs and, and get back into game shape. Cause we could see another, you know, 20 minutes out of Damian Jones tonight. I, I agree with Damian Jones a hundred percent. Tony, what about you? What did you think about uh, everybody else on the roster? Yeah, I was going to go right to Damian Jones too. I think there's some like Rashawn Holmes potential there where we've seen Damian Jones play some efficient limited basketball for a few stretches throughout his career so far. He hasn't really gotten that full opportunity and maybe he can get that with the Kings for the rest of the year and prove that he is either, like Jerry said, a, a consistent backup center or a, you know maybe even more than that. He's got the size for it. He plays hard. He doesn't take bad shots. That's why I kind of compare him to Rashawn Holmes a little bit where when you watch him, you have issues with exactly zero of his shot attempts. They're all good shots for the most part. The effort's always there. Um, and that's one of those situations where if you're looking at this team from like a, a roster building, roster construction, if you had the Tristan Thompson money and the Alex Len money to put into a wing or something, and then you have this very cheap backup center, um, that's where you can make your team better. You don't need to be spending 15 million on backup bigs in Tristan Thompson and Alex Len combined when you can have a guy like Damian Jones give you basically the same thing, if not better, for a lot cheaper. That's great. I appreciate that. Um, the only other guy that I kind of want to point out to who he, he, he played very limited minutes in one game before he went, or two games before he went out with COVID. But uh, I liked what I saw at Anemius Keita in the three minutes we got to see of him. It was almost no time at all. And I was <laughs> looking at him with a microscope, with a notepad, with a pen. I was there in the Memphis game where he came in right before halftime and had a bucket, had an assist, had two blocks right before the buzzer sounded. And it was no time at all. It was, it was a flash in the pan. But just in that little stretch, I went, you know what? Let's get rid of every player that isn't. And Damian Jones <laughs> is fine. We can keep Damian Jones, but I'm ready. I'm ready for the Nemeus Keita. Let's get him starting. I want to see 10 blocks a game. His per 36 numbers are out of control when I'm ready for it. Well, you know, a, I, that's not a bad point. I mean, I, to me, it's just such a, a blank slate at this point, yeah. really. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I would, I could see that next year. It's like, really, yes. if, you, if, if you're going to keep three centers, that's the third center you ought to keep. Uh, yeah. but and try to and see where you go 
uh, there because uh, uh, anyway. But yeah, he he certainly he looks like he looks like there could be a player, and that's where it gets you. You know, you you got to be very scared of that because uh, in three or four minutes here or there, you know, I mean, who he could be the next yeah. Scalabissier or whoever. You we'll know, even yeah. even even Papianis had his moments. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I've been around way too long and I remember all those, <laughs> those kind of things, but having said that, I, I, I do think, I mean, that's what the third center should be is a, a is a guy, a, a project that you think can be more than that. I, I just it, it, going fully off the rails. I, I saw him run, run the floor hard. I saw him dish a really nice assist. And I saw two blocks in a short amount of time. And I went, there it is. There he is. Sign him. Give him, give him a hundred million and we're happy. Yeah. You know, the thing is, he, that strikes me, he's one of those guys, late developers. I love late developers because so many For sure. of, of the truly the great players. I mean, you go down through the list of the top 75 players that ever played a high percentage were late developers. They weren't uh, the the top guys in their area, even uh, as young people. And they, of course he's a big and, uh, you know, he looked, and like I say, he's got a little athleticism, a little bit of feel for the game, which is really uh, what you're looking for. So now we'll see. Okay. Now, now that we've got Portugal listening to, into the, uh, the podcast, we're, we're set. We'll move on from there. I just wanted to bring him up. Appreciate it. Because I, I was at that Memphis game and I saw it live. Before, before he was a star, I was there for it. Um, so uh, let's talk about the GM a little bit. Uh, I wanted to know your opinions on um, where Monty McNair's head should be going into the new year. We still got some time before the trade deadline. Obviously COVID is, is kind of coming back into the arenas and it's really messing with players and, and the ability for GMs to trade healthy guys. So, so Jerry and Tony, I wanted your opinions. Is it too soon to decide whether or not uh, Monty should be making a swing for the fences to try to compete or to, to, trade off the veterans and, and, and try to uh, to re- retool by the end of the season. Um, where do you guys think Monty McNair's head should be right now? Well, you know, I'll go back to kind of a statement I alluded to earlier. I mean, it's one of those deals where I think the team is now, you know, if you don't change direction, uh, you're likely to end up the direction you're going. And, and I think, and I don't think anybody likes the direction you're going. And then they, you know, the other old, saying that I kind of believe in is, is, is change before you have to. And uh, sure. I mean, because, you know, this thing could, if it gets worse, it's going to get tougher and tougher to do. So, I mean, it, in my mind, if I'm money, I'm thinking, well, whatever we did think about this roster uh, is not what we thought. It just, you know, it, should it be better? Can it get better if we do this or that? Sure, you can say that and, and even believe that. But you can't believe that it is what you once thought it was, I guess. So so I, if you're saying swing for the fences, I'm not even sure you can swing for the fences with the current yeah. number of assets you have. But you might take a hard swing and see if you can't line a double somewhere. Uh, that, that, that's what I would do or I, I think you could do. Yeah, I think this is a, maybe a good time to slide in what Alvin Gentry said after the Memphis loss. I wrote his quote down here, but he called the, the loss to the Grizzlies. Uh, it's the most disappointed I've been in 34 years in the NBA. I can honestly say that that performance was absolutely ridiculous. We didn't play hard. We didn't comp- compete. Later on, he added that there was no competitiveness whatsoever. 
And he made sure that he told that to the locker room too. He wasn't just saying it to the media. And he said that Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies basically toyed with us all night. So from a general manager's perspective, when the coach calls out your players like that to the degree, and maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I haven't heard a coach call out the Kings like that in this 16 year playoff drought that I could remember off the top of my head. Gentry basically ranted for eight minutes after that Grizzlies game. And I think, you know, that's almost like the last call for these players. Where do you go from here after the coach calls out your competitiveness, calls it the most embarrassing game of his 34-year career? I mean, I'm not saying that Gentry is forcing Monty McNair's hand as we approach the deadline. I just don't know what the franchise does. If, If the players don't respond after this level of calling out, then I think you simply need to make major changes because this is this is sort of the last the last straw. The last move you can make is this very public, very loud call out of the team. And if there is no response there, I think that tells you all you need to know about the core, about the players, and it's time to make some moves. You know, the uh, the other interesting thing on that uh, is, you know, when you call out the, in effect, the team, as he did, and certainly I wouldn't disagree with, uh, uh, you know, uh, Alvin in any way, shape or form, uh, about that performance, because uh, I, I mean, I've certainly seen a lot of performances equally bad. In general, yeah. uh, there were reasons for it. I mean, you know, there was some excuse, not saying an excuse, but some reason why you saw as bad a game as you saw. And this is one of those games that the only reason was that you got beat by, an und- by a Memphis team that simply was quite honestly just far better coached and played harder and more together with, with, actually less talent if somebody wants to convince me Tilly and Code Conchar and 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 those guys are are are, are keepers I, I I don't know but but I, I want to but I do think coach Taylor may be the most underrated coach in this league right now uh yeah. but but I I think the second part I don't want to miss I think the thing that if I were Alvin and I think I'd be surprised if he didn't knowing him is that yeah you you can get by with calling out the team in public. What you need to do is start calling out some people in private, uh, you know, individuals. Uh, individuals need to know because if you don't, it's pretty soon it's the same old thing. It's like uh, those fingers get, well, yeah, he was, well, yeah, the team was terrible, but I did my part or it wasn't me. Uh, that sort of thing. So, I mean, I think at some point you have to say, no, it was you and it was you and it was you. <laughs> and I mean, and now that needs to be private. That needs to be private. And, uh, and, and, and so anyway, that, that'd be my curmudgeon self coming out there. Jerry, I'm curious. Do, do you feel like this is at a point now where, where Gentry could, could make a choice to do something on the court and, and the general manager be okay with it? If De'Aaron Fox isn't giving effort, sitting him for a whole second half or or something like that? Or, or is this something where the Kings still have some leeway here to, to okay, we're going to talk in private, hey, you really need to be better. Not necessarily De'Aaron Fox, but any player. Or is, this, or is this to the point now where he needs to make some public moves as well on the court during a game to show the players that like, now we, we can't stand for this anymore. Well, we did see, uh, you know, Alvin kind of bench some guys, cop guys, uh, to take them out of the game and let reserves finish when they were playing better and competed. I think sure. we look back to that. Uh, and like I say, knowing Alvin as I do now here again, I, I don't know this to be a fact, but, but I'll, here's what I think. I'll only give you my opinion. 
is Alvin Gentry is going to coach his team where he wants to. He don't care what Monty McNair thinks. I can tell you that much. He's going, it's his team now. He knows he probably ain't the chosen one anyway. And so he's going to, he's going to do it his way. And my, you know, if I'm going down with the ship, uh, I'm going down, I'm going down leading, leading it the way I want to. And I, that's, and that's what he ought to do. That's what he ought to do. Uh, you can't, uh, can't worry about keeping, uh, Vivek or, or Monty or Joe Dumars or any of those guys happy. They're not coaching the team. He's got to coach it as best he can and see where it goes. Just so I know that sounds a little, probably a little off the, the rails a little bit, but, but that, that's the way it has to be. You can't be, you know, people who aren't coaching don't need to be, be you know, and aren't in the locker room don't need to be telling people uh, how to do their job. Yeah, it's, it's curious, Jerry, only because Tony brought up the quote about him saying that it was the most disappointing that the most disappointing game that Gentry has been a part of in 34 years in the NBA. And I think for a lot of fans, like they're not going to remember this game at the end of the season outside of Gentry saying this was the most embarrassing loss in 34 years for him. Like this is a pile of losses. This is a pile of skulls, you know, as high as, you know, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> and, and, and I'm curious, Jerry, like, as a previous GM, as a previous coach, would this have pissed you off watching the same game? If you'd have been the one coaching and seeing the responses from players, would this have pissed you off the same way? Or as a fan now, do you just, no, nope, it wouldn't, wouldn't have bothered me that much. Well, no, I, I mean, certainly it would have, if I'd been involved with the organization in any kind of a role, uh, I'd be very pissed off and I'd probably have a lot to say, but I, but that wouldn't change. I think that as a coach, you you've got enough noise to deal with. You've got players that got their own agendas. That that, that is the problem. You've got to get uh, so so. Say my opinion as a GM or something would just be that. I, I I would be very disappointed with the loss and make it clear that I'm disappointed with the loss. But I I think uh you know that's what coaches are hard to do hired to do is to coach a team and make it better. And if they can't do that, then of course. Uh, changes need to be made and and uh, players uh, believe it or not they're they're hired to play basketball at the highest level they can play and if they prove they can't play at the level they're being hired to do it uh, they need to be replaced or changed i mean it's a it's this is not little league you you don't get to play three innings and everybody give you a trophy uh this is this is a real world and and i think uh I do think that's been one of the problems. And I think that was one of the flaws I thought with Luke was that he's a, by nature, a really good guy and too good a guy. And, and I think the players, uh, I sometimes wondered if they even looked at the standings, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it just, you know, everything's, you know, we're, we're on the right track. We, we just do not need a good practice or, or this or that. And, and, uh, Boy, uh, no, it's a, uh, it's a hard league. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I'm just fairly convinced that, uh, you know, the, the uh, Greg Popovich team uh, that's getting better as we've seen, you know, they, they, they probably get a little more negative uh, feedback, you know, and you don't want to berate people unfairly, but I, I, I believe that most players, uh, they view themselves as better than they are, and that's natural. And you don't, and that's and that's a good thing. You want them to have confidence, but but they need to be told some truths, you know. 
and and, and there's plenty of stats that today that uh, the truths are there. If you're not producing at a certain level, uh, you're hurting the team. <laughs> you know, I mean, these these aren't made up stats. You know, I always say as a coach, I I, I don't make these up. Now, they were these things were important years before I. I was involved and there'll be, and if you can't produce at certain levels, then, then you're a negative. You know, if you're going out there shooting 20 shots and producing 15 points, that is a stat that if everybody did that, the team would be zero and 82. That's what you need to know. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I'm curious, Jerry, uh, only because there's another part to this. You, you, we brought up the players and uh, we heard Fox and we've heard Fox say this a couple of times this year that Foxes uh, and some of the other players too, as well as Tristan Thompson and some others saying that uh, staying together is the critical part of this. And Fox said last night that that's all you can do. We're the only ones who can get us out of this. But uh, I was curious about Terrence Davis, who when asked about this said, I don't think we lack leadership. I just think we lack a leader's voice. If that makes sense. We don't really have a leader's voice. We have leaders. Their voice just isn't being heard enough. Honestly, I'm curious what you think of that, Jerry. Well, if you have leaders and you don't, and they don't have a voice, you don't have leaders. I mean, good grief. You can't make it simpler than that. Uh, you, you know, you might have people that should be leaders, uh, but you know, I mean, the old saying, I mean, leadership is not a position or a title. You know, it, it's basically action and example. Uh, the, sure. I mean, a lot, a lot of the good teams, I think, you know, you look at, the, say, the best teams, whether it's the Warriors, I mean, the leadership that certainly on the court with uh, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, uh, I don't think that's a secret. You know, I don't think any of the other players uh, have any doubt uh, about where those guys stand, And you know, with Chris Paul and, and Booker and, you know, and then you look to the coaches too. But, but I mean, on court, we're talking about on court stuff. And so that that's no question, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, a weakness, if not a failure thus far in this team, because the, so far the guys that have spoken out, say a Tristan Thompson or, or Terrence Davis, uh, they can't be the leaders. They're not good enough. You know, mm -hmm. sure. they can't be. It has to, <laughs> I mean, it has to come higher up on the food chain. <laughs> Tony, where do you stand on all this? I thought it was uh, interesting. So Gentry talked again today following his rant, and I watched it before we started recording. And someone asked him about um, the Terrence Davis comment. And I'm sorry, I don't remember who asked the question. But Gentry actually disagreed with Terrence Davis' uh, comments about leadership. Gentry thought the team does have leaders. They're just a quiet team. And he actually compared them to his New Orleans Pelicans roster, where he felt there were leaders on the team. They were just a quiet team. I don't know if there's a real big distinction there. I think you can't, you need your leaders to not be quiet or maybe you don't have leaders on the court, but I thought it was interesting that Gentry and, and Darren Stevens weren't necessarily on the same page with this like leadership void if it does or doesn't exist. Um, I almost think uh, I don't even, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's like a, it's a thing that we can talk about, but we don't really know the particulars. If the team is winning, we'd probably say they have great leaders. The fact that they're losing, it's easy to hit. They don't have any leaders. So I don't know. I don't know how to have the leadership conversation without being in that locker room. I just know the fact that they're losing and they look so aimless certainly makes you think from the outside that no one who gets, like Jerry said, heavy minutes, it can't come from Iman Shumpert or can't, can't come from Tristan Thompson. It's got to come from one of the, the leaders of the team from a basketball talent standpoint. And it doesn't appear, at least from the outside, that they have a lot of that going on right now. I agree 100% with that, Tony. I think that's, a, I think that's an excellent point that, that 
leadership would, would not be a problem if they were winning games. Well, that, you know, that's the old chemistry thing too. You know, the, you know, chemistry is great. Leadership is great when you're winning and uh, you have no chemistry and you have no leadership when you're losing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but I, I do think, I, I think if you look at any, any winning team uh, or, or just team playing at the, at their level, I mean, you, you, it's, it's a little easier to, to spot the leadership. And I agree with probably Alvin. It doesn't mean it has to be a, uh, a, a yeller or a screamer to be a great leader. I mean, it's like I said earlier, you know, it's action and example. Uh, you know, guys going out there, say, a, 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 I've always said going back to years in college, if my best player was also a, the hardest worker and, and, you know, and had some leadership I knew we'd win big, you know, sure. I mean, and when your best player wasn't those things, you, you're going to have problems, you know, <laughs> you're going to have problems. <laughs> sometimes, it's, sometimes it's that simple. Yeah. We're kind of tiptoeing around just naming De'Aaron Fox here. Cause he's the one that we think should be that player considering his numbers the last few years, but it's just tough. It's tough when Fox is a guy that's getting beat on defense over and over again and not showing the best effort there consistently like even if he was a vocal leader, like China, like to Jerry's point, if he was just playing hard all the time, he wouldn't need to be as vocal. But it seems like he's not really doing either thing, where he's not being vocal as the most uh, as the highest paid player and best player on the team. He's not being vocal from from that standpoint, and he's also not really doing it on the court all the time, and not ha- like he's not a guy that you can just say, hey, you know, follow De'Aaron Fox's lead because we're not seeing the intensity from him on defense enough to to be a, a silent leader either. Yeah, there's, you know, I mean, just go back to some of the, the, the great leaders that, that, you know, the Chris Paul, well, that's easy to see, you know, yeah. uh, but I always go back to a guy like John Stockton years ago, and, and he wasn't a, a big talker, but he was a big time player and effort player, you know, and, and in other words, his teammates just bought into anything John said and did, you know, they because uh, he was the hardest worker and, and is every bit as tough as, as Carl Malone. And, and so the secondary players, you know, it's pretty hard uh, to, to go out there and, uh, and, and dance around uh, when, when uh, your main guys are, are really, you know, just balls out all the time. And, and I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, it's where it starts. But I, I look at a young guy like Davion Mitchell uh, he has more of that right now in a lot of ways than, than the experienced veterans because he doesn't, you know, he just plays hard. He just comes in and plays hard and, and gets into guys and disrupts things and, and not a selfish bone in his body. Uh, you know, I, that, that kind of thing plays. <laughs> I think that kind of thing plays. And, you know, I could, wouldn't be surprised three or four years if he, if he couldn't develop into the kind of, you know, kind of the leadership he showed in college. Uh, the same kind of thing, but that it, it's difficult for a rookie to do that. You know, not, not many can be magic Johnson or something. So let's, uh, we're going to, before we get to our Patreon question of the day, uh, 2022 is right around the corner and seeing as how this is the last show of the year, I, uh, I wanted to pull a, a King centric new year's resolution from each of you could be for, uh, for a specific player or the coach or management, just something that we can come back to in a year and, and pull it out and go, Hey, good for the Kings. They dropped 25 pounds this year, <laughs> or you know, they dropped 180 pounds of whatever player they decided to trade. 
Good for them. So I, I want to hear it from you guys. Give me your New Year's resolution for the Sacramento Kings this year. Mm, I don't think I'll let, let Tony go first there. I got to <laughs> think on that. Well, I would say, uh, I guess another way to look at a resolution is like a goal. So I would say the goal for, for this team by this time next year is to uh, not have some of these consistent concerns that we've had for, I guess, the entirety of Monty McNair's era. And, I, and we can say that under the assumption that he's around, which I don't think is a given. He may not make it another year in Sacramento with the way things are going. But if this is the same leadership, or even if it's different leadership, the resolution should be to have a goal and then have that goal be working. Because I think right now their goal has been to make the playoffs and it is not working. And they have failed to pivot from that goal to something they can reach, something that with some intent. Right now they're failing by accident. So I would like to see as a resolution, a, a goal and see them actually meeting some of these benchmarks instead of setting a goal that they set this year and they seem to be failing at that. So set a, set a better goal, one that you can reasonably attain and then build your roster in a way that, that makes that actually a reality and not kind of do what they did this year where they built a goal for the playoffs and they have kind of left the roster alone since that and haven't done any tinkering or maneuvering to make sure that they, they reach what they set for themselves. Well, I'd say probably there'd be two things come to mind for me. I'd, I'd like to, I'd encourage the players and, and hope the players, you know, try to find more joy in your teammates' success. You know, basically, uh, you know, I, I still feel like there's just too much meism on this team. Try to find more theism. You know, to uh, just just enjoy a good play from your teammates, and 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 hopefully they'll feel the same for you. I think that's where it has to start. Uh, there and then start losing the games you lose lose for the right reasons and the right reasons are the other team is better it's simply better yeah nothing wrong with that at all uh everybody understands that and 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 certainly we all know that over a huge schedule there'll be games when you don't have it the best of teams uh, do that the great ones have had had those but uh boy it should be few and far between uh Go out there, you know, and in effect, uh, be as best you can. And uh, you know, if you if you lose because the other team's better, that's the way it should be. And and surprisingly, you'll find out you'll probably win a few more games than you should. I think mine this year is going to be uh, just just something kind of concrete here. I want to see the guy for the Kings go out in the next 365 days and go find the guy. Whether that's you find a coach. That's going to set your tempo. He's going to set your culture and he's going to be, you know, your Greg Popovich for the next five, 10 years. I'm not saying go get Greg, Greg Popovich or that it's that easy to find one, but go, go find your person. If it's, if, if it involves you trading everything you've got to go get Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons is the guy that pushes you to the playoffs, then, then go do it. If it's trading off everything you can in order to drop in the draft so you can draft a Jabari Smith or a, Paolo Benchero or something like that, where you've, you've got, this is the star for the future, then fine. If, if it's getting out from under Fox and making Tyrese Halberton your new, Hey, we have enough belief in those four games. We know that what we've got will work. If we have a, a swap for a, a forward for Fox, make Tyrese Halberton your guy, whatever it is. I, I want the culture to start. I want them to set their, their their standards one way or another and maybe this is a backdoor to tony's you know find your direction and go for it 
but like, I just, I want either uh, a coach that we can see. Yeah. This guy can coach. This is not, this is not Luke Walton where, uh, you know, he was with the Lakers and it wasn't so good or, you know, it, it wasn't, I mean, if, if it's Dave Yeager or better, I'm fine with it, but go get a guy that's going to set your culture and, and, and get this team going in the right direction because right now, they're aimless. And whether that is uh, a quiet leader or a loud leader or a coach that's going to break a clipboard or patch on the back, I, I don't care. Just pick your culture, figure out what you want to do with it and go with it. Well, I think too, you know, on that, I agree with you there, Will. I, I think sometimes we, we, we were scared to give up the good assets uh, in order to go for the great, but that's exactly what you have to do. You can't, you, you know, you've got to get out of your comfort zone in order to to improve and i think the team really is at that stage and it's like yeah you have some good things you don't want to lose but it ain't working so you know hey go for the go for something better i mean it's the old mitch richmond uh otis thorpe for chris weber sure well it worked uh <laughs> it worked and then uh you know, where would you been if you didn't do it? I mean, Mitch was on a downslide. I mean, yeah, he's, you didn't want to give up, a, you know, your best player to in, to that time, but it was over and he wanted to go. And so, yeah, there's a, you know, I mean, I look at this roster and I think there's, there are some good, there's some good pieces there that the league league likes and find out how much they like them yeah. <laughs> and go from there. I, I just don't think internal improvements only are going to save this team. I don't think we're like one more year with Fox and Halliburton. And if Halliburton really turns it around, if Davion Mitchell Willie becomes the defensive player of, of the year, if we can just get a little bit more out of Chemezi Metu, I don't think all those things are the things that are going to get the Kings back into the limelight, back into where Vivek, Vivek and where, um, where Monty want them to be. It has to come from the outside, whether it's a draft or, or a trade or sure throw a billion dollars at somebody if they want to come in free agency that won't happen but it has to come from the outside and and i i can't stand another year of sitting here of another gap year waiting waiting for that person to show up go get them if it's the coach it's the coach but go get them yeah it's it's going to be all three i yeah. mean you know the draft the draft trades and free agency has to be all three sure. uh and, and it's not say you you know exactly how it plays out but if you're if if you're just going to wait around for the draft, you're just in the process again type thing. No, you, you've got to go. You have got to uh, improve your team three pronged and, and you have a chance to do that. So, so find a way, take some, hit that double down the line. Let's go. <laughs> All right, Tony, why don't we go to our Patreon question of the day? Sure. Uh, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. Uh, to Jerry. And then any question that doesn't get asked on the main show here, we do a monthly Q and A where we take up uh, all the extra questions and ask them all at once. So you submit the questions. We will definitely answer them, whether that's here or on the Patreon ex exclusive show. But the question this week comes from Ron. And uh, we sort of touched on these topics a little bit, but this is a little bit more direct asking of it. Um, Ron wants to know, when does the apathy and crappy attendance numbers really begin to bite into teams' finances? And what's the word on the street about the financial stability of the team? Uh, Jerry, I don't know how much you can say about the last part, but uh, how do you feel about Ron's, Ron's questions there? Yeah, well, I, well I, th I think that's happening. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, obviously attendance, you know, the attendance numbers they give out aren't accurate. 
uh, you know, they certainly have lost a lot of season ticket holders. I know that for a fact. And, uh, and then some people aren't even using their tickets. So, so you're losing money there. I, I think there's some issues going forward with the uh, local TV deal uh, that it, as the numbers are going down and, and things. So, so those are, are real concerns because that's, that's how you operate kind of on a yearly basis. So uh, this team probably hasn't been profitable for a number of years now. Uh, of course, that's not unusual in the NBA. I think that's where people get confused. Uh, the, the the value of the NBA is on on the franchise. You know, in other words, it's it's like with the I think every group, the Luke and Bill group, and, and then the Thomas group, and and the Maloofs all basically uh, lost money most of the years they ran it, but then made significant money when they sold. <laughs> and and so to I don't know if it's answered your question, but to, but the truth is financially the the franchise is in great shape financially because it's it almost tripled in value since uh, it was bought. Uh, now there is a point with where that affects. Uh, I know the minority owners, which have had to pony up a lot of cash, and and they're not happy campers by any stretch of the imagination. So. Uh, to say everything's hunky-dory, no, there it's not. Uh, but uh, just to be honest about it, I think that this ownership group financially, when you look at the wherewithal of several of the minority owners, which are are wealth probably doubles and triples that of, of Rana Dive, uh, this group is is well well positioned so to absorb losses for a, a lot of years, which. They would rather than sell the franchise, probably, uh, because uh, they don't need to. <laughs> and uh, so, so I, I don't know if that's answered, but it's as honest as I can put it. Uh, yeah, is there's no doubt that the, that this team is uh, financially it's it's not doing well right now. But <laughs> but on the grand scheme of things, it's doing great. <laughs> How's that? How's that? For so we're gonna we're gonna uh, do a little bit of a new segment. Uh, we're gonna start uh, chipping away at something new here. Uh, we've reached a time of year where we as Kings fans have to start branching out if we want to see uh, good good basketball or good sports in general. So we're gonna introduce a new segment where I give Tony and Jerry a chance to talk about any other game, any other team, any other storyline from any sport uh, in the sports world that they encountered in the last two weeks. The only rule is, guys, it cannot be Kings related. So, so was there any game that you guys watched uh, uh, on Christmas or Jerry? I know you watch football. I know you're a football fan now. But if there is anything in the last couple of weeks that you've seen worth talking about, now's your time to talk about it. So you can you can say something positive about the world. Well, I I will talk about basketball. I mean, I, I do really love football, but it's uh, you know, it's it's basically what quarterback's hot that that particular day. Although having said that, I'm, I'm really an Aaron Rodgers fan. I know he's sometimes a little bit of a diva, but uh, the fact that I got to meet him a couple of times uh, when he was a backup to Favre in Milwaukee, he'd come by and visit because he knew Grant. And so I got, so, so just enjoyed his greatness and absolute greatness that, that he is and has always been, but, but I'm staying with the Milwaukee uh, theme here, watching them on uh, Sunday and, and, you know, Giannis Adetokounmpo is everything that's good about the league, as far as I'm concerned. A guy that really was a, you know, a late developer, as I've, we've talked about so much, uh, available in the draft late, 
who saw greatness coming? Nobody. Is there greatness? Absolutely. Could very well become the greatest player to ever play at 6'11". And then top it off, you know, he basically wasn't feeling well, wasn't even expected to play. And wins the game against uh, against Tony's uh, beloved Celtics, who took, <laughs> who, who gagged like dogs down the stretch. I beloved Giannis more. <laughs> okay, but anyway, yeah, I just I just thought, man, this guy, you know, and he's loyal so far. He's been loyal to the small market. Certainly, they've been loyal to him. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's a love story of the NBA. There's not near enough stories like that, sadly. But but uh, he he not only is the best player in the league, and, and people can say Durant if they want to, but it's not. Uh, he affects the game in many more ways than as great as Durant is. So uh, for him to be the kind of guy he is and uh, go through what he's went through and and doing it for a small market and being loyal, hey, that's why the NBA is still an attractive uh, must see. Absolutely, Tony. What about you? Well, you're going to regret asking me this question maybe every week, but definitely this week because I watched almost no sports outside of the Kings, a lot of holiday stuff. Something I did watch uh, because, you know, when when I'm not watching sports, you got to uh, have a little compromise with the wife about what you want to watch. And we just finished this last season of the Great British Baking Show. Shout out to, to that show. <laughs> Don't know. Uh, spoilers, if you haven't watched it yet, just skip ahead 30 seconds. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Giuseppe, for winning a great season. Uh, awesome showstopper challenge. And also Jurgen got robbed. But if you haven't seen the season of the Bake Off yet, it was a great season. I know I just spoiled it. So hopefully you did skip ahead. If you did watch it though, you know what I'm talking about. Truly one of the best Bake Off seasons in a while. So that's my, that's my game for this week. You know, Tony, I'll allow it. Competitive baking will allow Thank you. That's all I got, Will. Tony, I don't want to tell you. Tony, Tony never ceases to amaze, does he? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's all I had. That's the that's the only game I want. Next watched. week it'll be Mario Party. I can already tell. <laughs> I'd have been I I'd have been less surprised if it had talked about porn, really. But, uh... <laughs> uh, it's a great show, great British baking show on Netflix. Plenty of seasons if you're bored. Uh, and again, congratulations to Giuseppe. A stellar season from front to, from uh, start to finish. We're gonna turn this into a great British British Bake Off uh, I podcast. That. I can sure. already tell. Three years from now, this is all we'll be talking about is whose custard came out good. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give a I'll give a a, a one this week only because I did get to watch a little bit. Um, I don't like the Nets. I obviously don't like the Lakers. They're they're two of the they're the two teams in the league that I just I don't wish good things for ever. You know, I don't wish bad things necessarily, but I just if they could both lose, I, I'd be happy if they could both lose. And uh, watching them play this weekend. Um, I'll, I'll say that, uh, two things that stood out to me, uh, Patty Mills had 34 points in, in a win against the Lakers. And that's, I, I like Patty Mills. Patty Mills has always been that guy from the Spurs that it's like, I'm glad that he's continued his career as a, he's really an off ball shooter. Who's six feet tall. And like, you know, it's kind he's kind of had a nice long career for being a guy that that's short and being, you know, being that kind of player. And so good for Patty Mills. And also, uh, congratulations to Nick, Nick Claxton, for dunking all over LeBron James to kind of put the game away in the final minute. I'm glad the Lakers lose. I'm sad the Nets had to win that game, but, but if, if I can watch the Lakers lose every single night, I, I absolutely would. So congratulations to the Nets. Well, yeah, just one last thought. I, I guess, you know, I, I think it maybe it's Tony 
written something about uh, Tyreek Evans, and I was really hoping that he'd get a get a chance. You know, I think he deserves another chance. I mean, he certainly made made mistakes, but uh, you know, the guy the guy when healthy can still be. I know could be a really good player in this league. Now, <laughs> you know, now that he's uh, yeah. you know he'd learned to shoot the three ball before he got into all the the problems he got into, but uh, it certainly looks like he. His body's ready and all, and boy, some of these teams, I can't believe you couldn't plug him in and some of these franchises, they get better immediately, but uh, he deserves it. I mean, he was a, he was a nice kid, not, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I wouldn't say that. And, and unfortunately took advice from all the wrong people, but that doesn't mean he shouldn't have another chance to, sure. to pursue his livelihood. Hey, I agree with you. I'm sure Tony does too. Uh, we're all on it. We're all on Tyreek on the Tyreek band, uh, Tyreek bandwagon. And I know Tony, as soon as we know something about him being reinstated, Tony's going to tell us, we're going to have an emergency podcast for when, for when Tyreek gets reinstated into the NBA. Yeah. I've been watching it. Jason Anderson actually followed up my, uh, my little article about it with uh, a report that he has, he's not been restated yet. So I don't reinstated yet. So I don't know where he is in the process. If he's even, and I asked Jason directly, if you know, if he's, actually trying to get reinstated and Jason Anderson couldn't answer that. He didn't know. So definitely a lot of stuff uh, up in the air, but yeah, definitely echo Jerry sentiment. I mean, and I wrote about it too. He he's a massive success story. When you take where he came from to where he got the amount of money he's earned generational wealth for his family and all that, that's all great. I'd love for his career to have a better ending than it did. Um, and I, I certainly think he has the talent uh, level to, to still play in the NBA provided he's healthy and he, he looks like he's in great shape. So still rooting for him. I'd love to see him get another shot somewhere. hundred percent. Jerry, let's go to you for the Reynolds wrap up. What do you got for us this week? Well, you know, we've, we kind of talked about this uh, on and off throughout the podcast, but you know, I, you know, I will say this, I, I can't in my own mind, I can't say for certain that things will get better with, with changes, but what I can say with some certainty, if you don't change, it's just not going to get better. I mean, I, th I think it's just to that point that uh, from a fan's perspective, and that's what I am now, uh, I think a reasonably knowledgeable fan that uh, this, this franchise needs, uh, needs change and they need to step up, uh, take some chances. I think the fans that are paying the bills understand that and, 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 and certainly understand the risks involved, but, uh, you know, stay in the course when the course is just running right down into the mud. It's not a very good course. So that's about it. Yeah, I appreciate that, Jerry. We're, we're getting you ever closer to, uh, to being our tank commander. I promise. I'm, I, I am getting close to, to <laughs> will territory to scaring the shit out. <laughs> As it should. That's going to be the header for this episode, isn't it? Maybe. Tony, go ahead and go ahead and put that Jerry's uh, cartoon face with. Oh, we're getting towards Will territory. It scares the shit out of front me. Front of the front of a tank or something. Yeah, like I'm that. putting it on. My, I'm gonna wear a shirt that says it. Just made solely yeah. for me, not for purchase anywhere else. <laughs> well, uh, for everyone here at uh, the Kings Herald and for Jerry and Tony, I just want to thank you for listening to another episode. Obviously, uh, this is gonna drop right before New Year's, so uh, have a happy and healthy New Year's. Uh, uh, mask up where you can. Don't drink too much. Uh, Call a cab if you need to, but but stay safe so we get to uh, talk to you in two weeks. So everybody, uh, uh, happy new year and, and thanks again for listening.